Well, there's two things you can do to speed up. Take your foot off the brake or put your foot on the accelerator. Hmm. So Yohimbine takes your foot off the brake. It blocks the alpha receptors, particularly the alpha 2s. Clenbuterol activates the beta receptors, in particular the beta 2s. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Muscle Minds with Scott Stevenson. I'm Scott McNally. All of our programming is brought to you by truenutrition.com. You could use our code THINK for some additional savings. Like I mentioned last time, you get some awesome collagen there. I just finished mine. I put it right in my coffee cup. We're also brought to you by Scott's book, Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach. I picked this up over at Amazon. This is the hardcover edition. You can also uh, order the uh, the e-file book, uh, the, uh, the e-book over at uh, byobbcoach.com. For those of you in Canada, check out our sponsor, supplementsource.ca. Uh, they have great blowout deals on closeout products, stuff like that. Check them out. Um, today, we've got something for you. Oh, I should also mention our Patreon people, and we do have a question from Patreon today. But today, um, we're going to talk about a little bit of science regarding uh, fat burners in bodybuilding. Um, we always know that, uh, you know, we, we have clenbuterol is, I think, a mainstay in our sport for fat loss. And we know that yohimbine tends to work in great synergy with it, that they work in different ways. Uh, from what I understand, it's a beta-2 and beta-3 agonist. I, but I want to know more what that means uh, okay. how is it that these things burn fat in different ways and, and how is it that they they work together to get a better effect? It's really, I was digging into this last night and now I'm like, you know, I think I should probably write an article or something about this because there's some new and interesting things that are kind of coming out and um, finally, this is an issue with research just in general. So I sort of uh, preempt all of this to say, Depending on when you look at the literature, you have to be careful because a lot of stuff was done in the sort of area of adrenoceptors, adrenoreceptors, um, which you just mentioned, alpha adrenoreceptors and beta adrenoreceptors, with rodents. And rodents are different than humans. A man is not a rat. I think I did write an article for John Meadows' site at one point where that was the title. And there are different populations in the different cells. So here's the big, the big, um, the big picture. When we are uh, excited, aroused when our sympathetic nervous system is up and running. That is telling our body to mobilize fuel. <clears throat> so you, when you're, you go out and let's say you fa- do fasted cardio, it's your sympathetic nervous system that turns on that lipolysis. So then you oxidize the fatty acids that go into your bloodstream. You burn fat from your, from your white adipose tissue from your, your fat stores, which is almost all of it and most of it in most people, in many people, not everybody. That's where it kind of gets interesting. Um, when your body is, when you're in a caloric deficit, the main aspect of your nervous system, your autonomic nervous system that is mediating um, this fat loss is the sympathetic nervous system. So you activate the sympathetic nervous system, you activate lipolysis. So that is where it kind of gets complicated and fun because You've got two basic catecholamines that are involved here. Um, catecholamines are dopamine, noradrenaline, or norepinephrine, and adrenaline, or epinephrine. So those are the those are synonymous. Dopamine's mainly in your brain, and adrenaline comes from your adrenal glands, and noradrenaline or norepinephrine comes from 
the sympathetic nerves that go to the fat cells or to your heart or to your eye or to your skin, and they release norepinephrine. So when you're exercising, you get both adrenaline and noradrenaline. Both of them are elevated. You've got it coming from the nerves. you got it in your bloodstream. So it's basically adrenaline's the hormone. And here's where it gets kind of crazy. So you know, like, you try to exercise in the heat. You try to do a monster interworkout. It's not going to go well because <laughs> yeah. your body doesn't want to digest food. That's mediated by your sympathetic nervous system. It's shutting down. Um, the the, uh, the parasympathetic is, is not active, so you, you're not able to digest digest things very well and it's basically saying okay our number one priority is so we can have fuel around we want to one of those things is going to be glycogen of course so uh, epinephrine stimulates glycogen use um, in muscle and in skeletal or sorry in the liver so that's like if you're sprinting or doing lifting weights that happens but also it turns on lipolysis so this is where the the bodybuilding hack comes in is that we want to use drugs now we're doing the good stuff, drugs, that mimic these sympathetic nervous system actions, and they're called sympathomimetics. It's kind of like the fancy word for them. So the way in what you're thinking, like, well, this is like body, the body's pretty, pretty complex because you've got a lot of shit going on. Like you want more blood flow to skin, but you don't want a lot of blood flow to your gut because if all the blood's there, then it can't go to your skin. You want more blood flow to your muscle. The way in, and but you only have noradrenaline, you have really just one sympathetic neurotransmitter, and then the and adrenaline that's mediating all of this stuff. And the way that it is um, uh, manipulated and controlled, more specifically, are by the populations of these receptors. So the signal is noradrenaline, let's say, or norepinephrine. I use those; they're synonymous, the same thing. But what it does to a fat cell versus a heart cell, versus a muscle cell, versus a skin cell, versus a cell in the smooth muscle of your gastrointestinal, all depends on what of those adrenoreceptors you have on those cells. Okay. So, like, for some people, it's kind of like um, we got one, one type of music, and it's hard rock, you know, and whether someone likes hard rock is going to be a matter of how they, what receptors they have for hard rock. So one person might like hard rock, they're ready to rock and roll. The other person is hard rock, makes them want to go like scream and dance and be happy. Someone else might be like, I'm fucking irritated as hell by this hard rock. I hate this music. This, <laughs> this is just screaming at us. So the different cells respond to that same signal because of with different receptor, because they have different receptor populations. So if we look at the fat cells, so narrowing things down, this is where it's like complicated and kind of cool. Um, and this is where I like, was digging in last night a little bit. I was like, oh, this is, there's actually a lot more going on here and a lot more that's unknown. Um, I used to be, used to think, oh, I'll kind of figure this, all this, all this out. And from a practical standpoint, we have, but you've got two kinds of adrenal receptors, alphas and betas. Makes sense. Start with the beginning of the, the Greek alphabet, alpha, beta, you know, alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, blah, blah, blah. You just go through. So alphas and betas. And then there are some subtypes in there. Um, there's alpha ones and there's alpha twos and there's beta ones, beta twos, and there's beta threes. Actually in the alpha ones, there's alpha one A and alpha one B. Oh God. And there's alpha two, A, B, C, and D now I've seen. Okay. So this is what's sort of interesting. So 
it's when you're exploring shit, it's like, imagine like someone's kind of going out and like they're, they're exploring the woods for their first time. Like, Ooh, like what's that? What's that tree? I've never seen that before. I'm going to call that like the, um, the Scott, the Scott Santhemum tree. Yeah. You okay. know, because, and so they name it that, you know, and it's like, Oh no, actually that's just a chrysanthemum. That's got a genetic variant of, that makes it a little bit colored a little bit differently. So it's really, it's the same thing. So people name things kind of based on historical bases. Okay. And sometimes they fuck up hmm. sometimes. And, and <clears throat> not that anyone's fucked up here necessarily, but um, this is where it gets kind of interesting and, 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 and very, and very cool. I think in that you've got all these subtypes that have come about and we just named them this way. But among that, you've also got genetic variations. So people will have different genes for what you might call the beta um, or the alpha 2A versus alpha 2B. And that's important because one of the things you see studied the most is obesity. So people who are obese, um, there's various, there's all the, all the things that are happening in their environment. You know, the food that they eat obviously plays a role. But there's also stuff that's related to their set point. And some of that's a function of what genes they have for these receptors. So going back to the alphas, we'll break it down and make it simple. Basically, in the simplest way of looking at <laughs> yeah, sure. The al- when you activate the, an alpha receptor, yeah. alpha 1 or alpha 2, especially the alpha 2s, that inhibits lipolysis. Really? So that's, okay. like, that's like a break on lipolysis. So you think sympathetic nervous system is lipolysis, but that's not actually the case. But these, so these cells, fat cells, can the population of those adrenoreceptors can be varied, so they'll have a different response to norepinephrine. If you activate the beta receptors in general, this means lipolysis, and it can also mean uncoupling too in a different kind of fat cell. I'll cover that in a second. So, for instance, one thing that's, that's been known for a long time now is that variations in those beta receptors, those are the ones when, when the sympathetic nervous system's on, norepinephrine does its job, and it's released from those sympathetic nerves that go to the fat cells, and then the norepinephrine binds to those beta receptors, and then the binding would tell the fat cells, okay, time to break down the fat, lipolysis, let's free this fat up so we can oxidize it and burn it, and use fat as a fuel. If you're someone who doesn't have the best gene for that, your beta receptor doesn't work too well. You could call it even defective. So you have poor sensitivity. So that's the thing that is people are we're just trying to sort sort of figuring out is that you've got alpha ones and all these all the all the various subtypes of the subtypes, um, and then you've got genetic variants. Um, so this goes back to this old theme is that. You read like, okay, the alpha, this is what this drug does. This is what this drug does. It binds to this receptor, binds to that receptor. It's black and white, right? Nope, it's shades of gray. Yeah. <laughs> it's like all the time. So some people, for instance, will get, now this is like a more practical example. And I imagine this has something to do with these adrenoreceptors. You've probably had clients who've used something that you can buy in Canada at one of, the, <laughs> one of our show sponsors, I believe, Ephedrine. Right, and then some and some people use clenbuterol, and some people use both. Some people get along really well with clenbuterol. Mm -hmm. Some people don't so much. Some people don't; they feel horrible on it. Yeah, 
I've had clients that can't even tolerate 10 micrograms. Like we will start lower, you know, and then if they can't handle that, we go even lower. And it's like 10 micrograms, some people, very rare, but yeah, there's some people that just can't handle any at all. Yeah. Right. So there's variations there. And some of that, I mean, some of that's psychological. It may be the, you know, the interaction if they get the elevated heart rate, heart rate that changed your perception of like, okay, what's going on here. Yeah, that's a function. That's a function of their beta, in part at least, their beta receptor and alpha receptor, their adrenoceptor populations on their cells. So, when it comes down to it, like we can talk about, what, we're going to talk about what the drugs do and how they how they can synergize. But for some people, it's not like, well, you know, Scott said that this is a beta two agonist and that's really good for fat for lipolysis, so we should use that. And it's like, no, you shouldn't. If you feel like shit and you're so stressed that maybe your cortisol levels are sky high because you just don't tolerate it very well. Mm, yeah. So so here's the, the, the easiest way to look at these, um, yohimbine and clembuterol, which, which do synergize really well for many, many people, is so if you activate the alphas, that puts the brake on fat loss. If you activate the beta receptors, that puts the accelerator on lipolysis, fat loss. We're assuming you're in a caloric deficit, so you're actually going to lose fat. You can just turn on lipolysis and, if you don't oxidize the fat, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you have to have the caloric deficit to, to make the whole thing happen. So you're driving along, and basically, if you've got norepinephrine um, activating both of those receptors, you've got a little bit of pressure on the brake, and you've got a little pressure on the accelerator. So your lipolysis is occurring at some speed. Well, there's two things you can do to speed up. Take your foot off the brake or put your foot on the accelerator. Hmm. So yohimbine takes your foot off the brake. It blocks the alpha receptors, particularly the alpha 2s. Clenbuterol activates the beta receptors, in particular the beta 2s. And that's how those work together. So you've got a nice complement. It's like if you take, let's say you took two beta 2 isoproteranol, which is a really powerful one, um, and clenbuterol, two beta 2 adrenal receptor agonists. Well, it's like, then you're just, it's like, they do the same thing. You know, you're kind of doubling up. But why, like, if you got your foot on the brake to some degree, why not take your foot off the brake so then when you're pushing on the accelerator, you can go faster that way. You don't have the brake resistance. So you remove the resistance to lipolysis by blocking the alpha 2s, and you activate lipolysis by turning on um, the beta 2s in this case. Hmm. So other ingredients that do this for instance raul scheme yeah you know that one yeah that's a that's an alpha 2 adrenergic antagonist just like you and that's something i've i've had had clients like some of them do well with you and 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 raul scheme not a chance but sometimes it's the other way around yeah yeah um, i remember you that's i first learned about that from you also known as like alpha yohembine right yes so mm-hmm. I, yeah, I first learned about that from you, and I remember uh, Dave Smith was talking about it. I believe that he had a difficult time processing regular yohimbine, which I found the same. If I take regular yohimbine, mm-hmm. I have really bad reactions. Like I get the very like very strong side effects, very like cold and flu feeling, like clammy, feverish, chills. cold, Fever, yeah, yeah, chills, and it lasts like I'll take a small dose of that stuff, and it will last for hours and hours through the day. Uh, I don't get that same thing with alpha yohimbine. So there is, um, 
this is something I'm doing a talk on actually next week for anyone German speakers who are who want to tune in. Um, check my Instagram. You can see I'm doing a um, I'm doing a why you don't look like a pro, but I'm doing it in German. Oh, neat. Um, yeah, it's gonna be cool. So one of the slides in there that is pretty is pretty sweet is that there are people that have a lack of 11 hydroxyhydrolase, which is the enzyme that breaks down yohimbine. And in those individuals, you look at what happens to their blood levels of yohimbine, and (laughs) you take it, normally it's back and down, you know, it's like half-life of something like, you know, I've heard, seen four, six, eight hours, somewhere around there. You know, you can take it, you take your last dose maybe at two or three, and you probably have no problem sleeping, just like an average person. If you're one of these outliers, your blood levels are elevated for like two days. Yeah, <laughs> because you're lacking in that. And actually, the um, the um, end product of that enzyme also is an alpha two adrenergic antagonist. So that's the same action. So you're not out of the woods yet. Once you've once you've actually broken down the euhimbine, which you've broken it down to, also has the same effect. So if you're lacking in that enzyme, you're kind of screwed for out. Yohimbine, it's just not going to work. Hmm. It's not going to happen. Hmm. Um, the same thing is true. There's one particular study. Um, uh, I'm blanking on the name of it. Um, oh, what's the stuff called? Theocrine. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah. Had a, had a brain fart there. So theocrine doesn't really have a terribly strong lipolytic effect, but it makes you feel pretty good. This is what's interesting. You know, these you look at these compounds, look at their molecular structure. It's like Okay, like you see what they're binding to, you know what they're kind of doing. And teacrine doesn't turn on lipolysis, but you feel really good. You're energized. And that's important when you're dieting so that your neat stays up. So you keep moving around, right? Um, I took you, I took teacrine. So I was writing, this is way back when I was uh, writing the supplement descriptions for Granite Supplements for John's company, John Meadows' company. And um, I got uh, some 100 milligrams of teacrine. And took one at like one o'clock, you know, an hour before I was going to train. Like, figure this would be fine. And I was up. I think I've told this story. I was up until like six in the morning. I remember you telling me that it was awful man. Awful. Where a lot of people do just fine with it. You felt good that whole time. Yeah. <laughs> I felt good the whole time. I'm like, but I'm like at four o'clock. I'm like, this is going to suck because I got to do some stuff tomorrow. I'm going to be really tired. Yeah. Um, and I found in one study looking at the pharmacodynamics that there was um, an individual, subject number eight in this particular study, who had a prolonged elevation of, so he was lacking in the enzyme, um, probably a P450 enzyme. He was lacking in some aspect of the metabolism. Yeah. So it didn't work for him. And you so can get these things the, tested too. You know, like they have testing now. And, and some of this, I believe, is covered by your doctor like you can get this i've tried in the the lab that my doctor used was kind of screwy and the first sample didn't go through the second sample we've never heard anything back from but um i i know that you can get testing to find out like how well you process these different things oh you mean like genetic testing for yeah. the p450 yeah. yeah yeah exactly yeah and that's like the interesting thing is sometimes we don't even know exactly which p450 enzymes involved oh. this <laughs> It was it was understood that the same P450 enzyme that's involved with teacrine is also involved with caffeine. Okay. Um, but this individual with the teacrine issue did not have a caffeine issue hmm. in this particular. So, and I don't have a caffeine issue. I just yeah. drank some coffee here. Like I, caffeine, I metabolize that normally, as far as I can tell. Yeah. It acts the way it's kind of supposed to. So you've got different options. You have himbean and rolluskin. So if someone's like, and they have issue with that alpha hydroxyhydrolase, 
enzyme. With it comes to uhimbine, Raulskine or alpha uhimbine might be an option for them because you're going to able to use that to block the alpha two adrenoceptors. Okay. Um, can can you restate then? In just yeah. as, as the simplest fashion possible, because I feel like we're going in deep here, and and I felt like I was getting an understanding of it, but now I, I'm feeling yeah. like I'm just buried in in the science. Just to restate my initial question, what is different about uh, Clen from Yohimbine, and why do they work so well together? If you were to restate it now in like the simplest way yeah. possible, Yohimbine takes the break off of lipolysis and clenbuterol pushes on the accelerator of lipolysis. So they okay. complement themselves. If you're driving down the road, you got, let's say you're driving with two feet, one on the brake and one on the accelerator. Yeah. It's, if you add those together, you're, it's like you're pulling off the brake and you're hitting on the accelerator at the same time, as opposed to just doing one at a time. I like it. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, the, and the, but there's, the, there's the point is that there's different ways to do those, have those effects. Those are the, that's basically what you want. Obviously you also want the activity. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, so you can have a caloric deficit, and the once you've got lipolysis in place, you want to have um, oxidation of those fatty acids because that's what creates the, the fat loss. Um, there's some other, so there's other. For instance, another interesting thing is that ephedrine, although it does bind to the beta one and the beta two um, receptors, its main action, I believe, by binding to an alpha, so. <laughs> This is where this is where there's there's all there's so many complexities here, but it's nice because it gives you options from a practical standpoint. As long as you just don't go you know ballistic and start dropping in you know huge amounts of some of these drugs without being very very careful, um, you've got if let's say my hand's a fat cell and my finger is is the the nerve the sympathetic neuron that goes to that fat cell, so the nor the norepinephrine is released here in the synapse between those. So imagine the water dripping off my finger. That's the norepinephrine and it does its job on my, on the fat cell and turns on lipolysis, which is generally going to do. When you take ephedrine, it actually can bind up here on this, on the nerve. Oh, okay. Also binds on the fat cell, but it binds on the nerve and the action there on the nerve is to promote more norepinephrine oh. in the synapse. So you have more water Yeah. in my little my analogy dripping off. So you have more norepinephrine, norepinephrine, that stimulates more lipolysis. Yeah. So that's how ephedrine works. It's okay. another mechanism. Interesting thing about ephedrine, some really nice studies that were done by um, uh, and I get a guy named Astrup and Dulu, those are the two big authors, D-U-L-L-O-O or A-S-T-R-U-P, Astrup. Um, with obese individuals, you get an elevated heart rate, and then that kind of comes down. Um, they, measured, they measured the center of the thermogenic effect of ephedrine like after like a 12-week diet period and it was not reduced huh. so you don't have an adaptation there you don't have tachyphylaxis is the, the fancy term for that when you have a reduced responsiveness in terms of what you're looking for which is the elevation of metabolism so these things turn on metabolic rate as well we haven't even talked about that yet that's what's interesting too um so you've got your himbean Alpha, alpha euhimbine or olskine, clenbuterol, albuterol on paper doesn't seem like it does much, but I've heard people say they think albuterol is just the shit compared to clen. Like it, hmm. it doesn't do any. Like, and I'm I like, haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. Both yeah. in my own life and and with yeah. clients, I haven't seen it. But hey, you know yeah. somebody else does. More power to them. 
they, they sell it. You can still buy it, um, you know, on some of the chemical research yeah. chemical site. And I've seen, like, I think I maybe saw it in the, in our, in the forum, the think big forum. Um, someone mentioned that I'm like, okay, you know, that's possible. Yeah. You know, it could be for some, for some individuals. Um, we got theocrine, which, which makes you feel good, but doesn't have this great lipolytic effect necessarily. And there, there, there's also cinephrine. Oh yeah. Cinephrine. Cinephrine or cinephrine. Yeah. Um, um, potato, potato. So that's an interesting one because that is thought that doesn't have hardly any cardiovascular effects. Hmm. It doesn't have the central nervous system stimulatory effects. And that's thought to bind the beta-3 receptors. So there's beta-1, beta-2, and beta-3. Okay. And now we're getting into, and this is, this is even controversial, because I found some stuff last night suggesting that, that the beta-3s don't do what, in humans necessarily, what we think they may do, uh. or what they do in rats. So this is sort of like, take this with a grain of salt, but this is just to give people an idea of the system. The science exactly knowing like what the truth is doesn't matter. What sort of matters from a practical standpoint is what you can use it for from a bodybuilding standpoint. And obviously, science is helpful so you don't hurt yourself. So, cinephrine, um has a thermogenic effect. It elevates metabolism. And one of the things, and I have these pulled out because I was asked this on an Instagram live story. Um, these two little dudes... Asperidin and Naringin. It just so happened with I'm moving and I have a box of supplements I haven't put in my kitchen yet. <laughs> I had these sitting like I've been hoarding these. I don't know. These probably expired like, you know, in last century. I don't know how old they are. Okay. Um, but those inhibit um, P450 enzymes. Oh, no kidding. Uh, yeah. So, so the P450 heard- enzymes would help to break stuff down. You're. And and that's my issue, I think, with Yohimbine is that I my it's not working properly. But maybe you're saying that you might want to delay the breakdown, keep something active for longer. That's what a particular study with cinephrine has demonstrated. It was like okay. hundred, I think it was one hundred and seventy-eight calorie from a single dose of cinephrine. I think it might have been sixty milligrams. I have to, I can go look it up real quick. Yeah, I can post a study if someone wants. Just tag me in the in the group, and I'll um I'll post it or. Or let me know if it comes up on YouTube. I'll tell you too. Um, if, it's in if, my book. If Lucas is still watching, he has a supplement podcast, and him and his buddies are going to absolutely love this episode. He's he's tuning in Sunday morning from Poland or Sunday afternoon Poland uh, to, while he's yeah. doing his cardio. So I'm just going to throw that I, out there. We just um, the supplement engineer. We just yes. We, I just posted our. We did a podcast earlier this week, so I just posted it yesterday. Very nice. That's up. Yeah, yeah. I didn't All know about together. these compounds. What are those called again? Asperidin and there's naringin and naringenin. I think I have both. Naringen- no, that's that's just naringin. There's naringenin. These are found in grapefruit juice. Oh, the same yeah. thing then where we hear about uh, grapefruit juice and D ball. Yes, that's where that comes from. You look at look up at the the drug interactions of grapefruit juice with drugs, and it inhibits at least one. I think maybe even several P450 enzymes. It interacts with tons of drugs, so it increases the area under the curve. It, it slows the metabolism of those drugs, so your, your your fifty milligram dose or whatever it might be is now much more potent because your body doesn't clear it as, as easily. Yeah, your liver can't handle it. So when you so that's that's where and this is where you got to be careful because that could be a good thing, but you could also end up kind of screwing yourself if you've got something else in there 
and you have like an effect like you get with euhimbine. Like yeah. let's say you've taken you taken cinephrine and euhimbine, and now you you know you can't sleep because of the euhimbine because you're wanting to get an extra little oomph out of your cinephrine. Yeah, that could be a problem. So um, that's because like it's it's a really to go and just block one of the major p450 enzymes for drug metabolism yeah is a pretty big hammer to be hitting <laughs> you know yeah um, and especially too you have to think if you're taking other medications like a blood pressure medication for instance and, that's yeah. I, and i've had weird responses to a whole plethora of different pharmaceuticals that I've been prescribed. Doc, my doctor has told me, I don't know why you're having this response to Norvask that it just keeps building up and building up and building up in your bloodstream until you get these weird side effects from it. Uh, same things with like a norepinephrine reuptake inhibitor. Just a tiny minuscule dose is enough to get me moving when it is like a baby dose, when people have to load it for month, for a month at 10 times that dose, I'm feeling it day one. So yeah, yeah, it could yeah. really, I, it would be something you'd really need to be careful with if you were attempting to get more out of your synephrine, you know, because mm -hmm. it could affect a I'm lot like, of other stuff. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the thing where it's just like, I think I, I was, I had a pretty strong caveat in the book when I noted that because okay. it's like, you don't know what other effects you're having. It's not like it's just working on on cinephrine because that's your intention. Yeah, the body it's blocking though, and I don't. I haven't even looked to see. They've probably figured out more P450 enzymes that may be blocked. But like, here's the effect though. It's pretty powerful. Yeah. Um, the group receiving uh, 50 milligrams of P cinephrine. So there's P and there's M, I believe, and those are different compounds. 65 calorie increase in resting metabolic rate compared to placebo. Hmm. Um, when they in the group receiving 100 milligrams of sparadin in addition to 50 milligrams of um, cinephrine plus 600 milligrams of naringin, the resting metabolic rate increased 183 calories. Okay. So imagine that, that this would be the idea as long as you know that you're not having interactions that are just kind of you're shooting yourself in the foot with um, 183 calories times three doses, assuming that is persistent. That's the thing we don't know. Is there tachyphylaxis there? Does all of a sudden you get that the first time and maybe for a few days or a few weeks, which is seems to be the case with clenbuterol, it loses its effectiveness pretty quickly, um, then that's not so great. But if you can get, let's say, 150 calories and you do three doses a day and that's your average, that's 450 calories a day, that's your whole caloric deficit right there, keeping everything else the same. Hmm. If you could do that, that's the thing. So... That's so we've got some pretty cool. We got lot. There's lots of sympathomimetics. Those are all these drugs we talk about are sympathomimetics. The other thing about cinephrine um, is that it probably is interacting with this other type of fat cell that at one point in time years ago we thought humans didn't have. We just thought rodents had them. Um, so there are white fat cells, and that's because they look they're pure white under a microscope. And there's also brown fat. You've heard of probably brown fat brown fat thermogenesis kind of yeah. is the phrase that rolls off people's tongues. And there's also beige fat, hmm. um, which is sort of an in-between. It's kind of a hybrid, and it can kind of go different directions. So, um, for instance, cold exposure, if you get someone, and this is not, this was the thing, like, way back when I, I even tried to do this when I was a kid. There was something I got from, like, I think I got it in, like, a, 
it's a pamphlet that came in some weeder product that I bought, you know, back when I was reading Muscle and Fitness. And it was suggesting like you go and like get in the ocean. So to where you got you get shivering thermogenesis, so you're just so so cold. Um, if you get really, really cold, your sympathetic nervous system turns on. And this happens in individuals, especially individuals who are lean, because hmm. they tend to have more of these these fat cells. And activation of the adrenoceptors on those brown or the beige fat cells, which are like around the midline of the body and the neck, um, between the scapulae, along the spine, that turns on thermogenesis. And it's, it was always thought that that's via the beta-3 receptors, but I found a study just earlier today that, that suggests that the beta-1s may be involved too. Okay. Um, so as it turns out, one thing that differentiates obese, obese people just in the sort of cross-sectional studies versus lean people is that lean people tend to have this brown adipose um, tissue or the beige. And that, that was the thing is that people were probably, oh, that's brown. I was like, well, no, there's actually kind of a different subtype. We haven't really differentiated this well enough because the beige and the brown are a little bit different in terms of the, 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 um, the size of the fat globules that are in them and the amount of mitochondria. <clears throat> Those beige and brown cells have lots of mitochondria in them, which means they can be highly oxidative. Your mm. white fat cells, literally, I mean, they're also, it's an endocrine gland. So you've got leptin and adiponectin that come from the white adipose, cushions the body. But mainly, it's a, it's a, other than being an endocrine gland, which is very important, um, it's a source of fat, a source of fuel. Whereas the brown and the beige, and those individuals have that. When that's activated, that's a way to adjust your metabolic rate. Hmm. And sort of the survival, this is really kind of survival mode. Holy shit, we're freezing. We need body heat that can be turned on in those individuals is when you activate the central nervous, the sympathetic nervous system and you activate the brown, brown adipose tissue, you, you get thermogenesis. You produce massive amounts of heat. Which and is, that comes from... I'm good. Sorry. I'm gonna, there's another drug that's, that's kind of like oh. involved with this. That, that comes from upregulating what's called uncoupling protein. Um, so there's various uncoupling proteins that do the same thing that people try to do with DNP. Okay. So uncoupling oxidative phosphorylation basically means that your body oxidizes, oxidizes fuel and the end product would be ATP. So that's good. That's, you know, it's about a 40% efficient process um, to get from fuel to the ATP. Um, but if you uncouple that and like all it means you just keep on breaking down fuel or breaking down fat, using up energy, you're not getting any ATP out of the, out of the deal. DNP does that by getting into the mitochondria and literally letting um, the, the energy potential that you work all the way to build up by breaking down this fuel, it just sort of lets it loose. Mm. It's like putting a giant crack in a dam so the water can't flow through the turbines of the dam and produce energy. The water just flows out. It's like, oh, shit, we have all this water dammed up. That's our potential energy we want to harness in the dam. And if we don't, if we can't harness that, well, we don't get the energy. We're not going to create the electricity that you're trying to at the dam. Mm. That's what DNP does in those brown adipose cells and the beige ones too. When that gets activated which Cinefin probably does, the beta 1s or the beta 3s, don't know. Um, who knows, could be the beta 2s too. It turns on uh, a, an uncoupling process and creates a lot of heat. 
So that's another sort of strategy that comes from the cinephrine, hmm. is you're targeting those other, probably to some degree, 183 calories is a lot. And white adipose cells, are, they don't have the mitochondria. I'm just sort of um, kind of ballparking this, but they don't have the mitochondria to do that. These people are just at rest. They're not like running around or doing anything. This is just sitting there watching their metabolic rate hmm. um, be elevated after a dose compared to a control period. So that's, I mean, that, and I have to see, I have to go look and see what the duration of that is, but let's say it was six hours. So average person might oxidize just resting, let's say, 100 calories during an hour, okay. right? So they would do 600 calories, and now they do 800 calories huh. over that six-hour period, or roughly 183 is roughly 200 calories. That's substantial. Yeah. I, d- I don't feel like that translates into the real world, though, does it? People haven't been using cinephrine, but uh, people mm. aren't also trying to couple it up with these disparate oh, okay. and other yeah, things. Yeah. It was only like 60, let me see, it was like 60 calories. Um, let's see, where is it at? 65 calorie increase in resting metabolic rate. Mm. So that's the thing. I haven't, um, I don't know anyone who's taken that a long period of time to see, you know, and, and added that in as a novel thing. Yeah. Um, and that's the thing, tachyphylaxis. Maybe you get that on the first dose and then mm. it's gone. Okay. The nice thing about ephedrine is you don't have that tachyphylactic effect. Yeah. Um, and actually, uh, one thing ephedrine does is it promotes the conversion of T4 to T3. Really? Yeah. So it, it, it helps it helps with more active thyroid, at least in one study with obese women. Okay. It did that. Yeah. So, Interesting. Um, yeah. So that's kind of the story we've got. You release the break with Yohimbine or Alpha-Yohimbine um, or Rewolskine. You can turn on and step on the accelerator for fat loss with clenbuterol, maybe with albuterol. You can indirectly turn on the brake. It's kind of like you know the the um, backseat driver with ephedrine. that hmm. tells more epinephrine, norepinephrine to be released, and then you can you know activate the catalytic converter with cinephrine and turn on the other adipose cells, the brown and the beige, hmm. which is a whole other deal. So. I'm not suggesting us say like, all right, let's do all of those. Right, right. You could really end up screwing yourself. Here's the thing with yohimbine is it's funny. Some people, when they take ephedrine, they're fine. And maybe yohimbine uh, alone, they're okay. But when they take them both, it's a no-go. That's where they have the issues, yeah. They, some people, they, I've had people, I've known of people that have freaked out and gone to the the um er really that bad that was never that bad but you know what i can't say that i've done much yohimbine on its own it's usually the way that i've always worked is that we start with clen and then later my and and it makes sense later then we add the yohimbine in and you Mm -hmm. explaining science behind it it makes sense why we're initially getting a you know a decent effect out of a really small amount of clen like i'll start people at 20 micrograms and then we may in two weeks go up or we might add in a small amount of yohimbine and try to get more out of that same dose because then i feel like we can stretch out another week of effectiveness out of that clen having added that yohimbine in before we we jump it up because i feel like the longer we can get more out of lesser dose the more we can down the road have room to go up we don't paint ourselves into a corner you know eight weeks down the road we're at 100 micrograms and we still have 10 weeks to get to the contest well where are we going to go from there you know yeah 
And the thing that's interesting too, and this is the other feature of this, so the ephedrine doesn't seem to, although you'll have a tachyphylactic effect, yeah. so reduction in how your heart rate is elevated and the stimulatory effect that happens, from this one particular study, the thermogenic effect doesn't seem to go away. Okay, okay. With, with yohimbine, with your at least from, um, I have to find this study, but it, it the, the, at least the early studies didn't suggest that you have any um, down or up regulation in those alpha adrenoceptors. I can see that. So it's something you can take long term. But clenbuterol, especially from the rodent studies, is renowned for rapid beta 2 receptor down regulation. Yeah. Um, but not in everybody hmm. in the same way. So. Some people like they can keep taking it and they feel it just the same, and other people it's like I felt like I didn't I couldn't I didn't feel anything I was taking two hundred micrograms you know and it was like yeah. it, was, it was nothing. And for that um, reason, like like people, I don't have a formula. It's not like you know I, I usually tell people we may go up every couple of weeks, but it might be three weeks or four weeks or it might be ten days you know depending on mm-hmm. on how somebody's responding. And and a way to way to do that depending on the person like at least something to consider if someone wants to use these these pharmaceuticals is that use one and get the most from the least so maximize your sensitivity yeah. with a smaller dose and then with that one starts not stop work that starts stops working then use something else so you can do it you can have a scenario for instance where you use alpha yohimbine or yohimbine um and then and then go to clen for two or three days and then go back or alternate between ephedrine and clen in a way yeah. that seems to work for you. Um, and, but don't always, don't try to just take everything because then you're probably going to end up, you know, and you're end up desensitizing yourself. And that's, yeah. that's kind of the key is to, is to maintain the sensitivity yes. as much as you possibly can by coming on and off the things, using them with some breaks when it comes to like ephedrine, caffeine and aspirin, um, it seems like from my experience with clients, myself, is literally just having one day. I always have any clients who are taking any fat burners. Mm-hmm. I always tell them like a, a non-training day, let's say it's a Sunday, usually works out best. Don't do your triple ECA stack or whatever it is that you're, you're taking. Yeah. Okay. Instead, that makes sense. have some green tea, something so you're not like just a slug. Yeah. So And go do something active, something fun, you know, so maintain some neat. You don't want to just like end up being a couch potato, you know, and just like napping. And then you, then you disrupt your sleep cycle and everything else. So maintain some regularity, but come off of that. And you don't end up in this, in this place where if people stay on the fat loss drugs, Mm -hmm. some pathometic drugs every day for weeks on end, then they're just dragging. Yeah. It could be adrenal insufficiency, you know, because you are stimulating norepinephrine release like ephedrine is doing that it's stimulating norepinephrine release yeah. from the sympathetic nerve terminals and norepinephrine release stimulates adrenaline production in the adrenal glands so you're stimulating adrenaline release as well with these things so you can end up sort of run yourself pretty ragged but it's just like one good day off it seems to work at least for like just a pure eca stack yeah that so, makes sense to me yeah Hey, can we, uh, if we have time, do you mind if we uh, switch gears a little bit and went to that question about DECA? All right, cool, cool. We had this question, and it was from Patreon. Uh, I've got a screen cap of it. I know I can pull that up here. Thank you for tuning in to another podcast here at Think Big Bodybuilding Media. If we've provided value to you today, then please consider contributing to our show.
You can help support the show through Patreon. Every $5 helps to pay for the software and the hardware and everything else that goes into making a podcast. You can also contribute by using our code at True Nutrition. True Nutrition has been our title sponsor for several years now. I'm super grateful for them. And I've believed in True Nutrition supplements long before they sponsored our programming. You could use our code THINK for health supplements and performance supplements. Feel free to hit me up if you have any questions. And if you're in Canada, check out supplementsource.ca. They have free shipping over $99, huge discounts on overstock, short dated, and label change products. Plus, they have all your normal supplements too. Thank you guys for listening to the commercial. I hope you're having a great day and that your bodybuilding is going well. Let's get back to the shelf. Uh, my TRT clinic is willing to add Nandrolone to my protocol for, quote, joint pain relief. Will adding that compound potentially give me that benefit? Yeah, Nandrolone's known for, for that. Like, uh, people have been doing that for years. Yeah. That, for that purpose, um, and I'm, I'm going to look at this more as a, sort of a practitioner, um, than a scientist, and I'll direct him to. There's a, there's a. I think it's free to read. It's all, it was online, I believe. Um, an article, like a panel submission article on Nandrolone, that um, is in muscular development. So, um, Rick, uh, the steroid lawyer, Rick Collins. Um, yeah, Rick Collins directed that. He kind of gathered that. I think he actually submitted his own portion too. But there's like uh, Dr. Serrano's on there. Victor Black's on there. Victor Prisk is on there. A couple other people. I can't remember all the names. It's been a little while. But we, we sort of submitted our thoughts on basically this very same idea. And, I mean, Nandalone is relatively benign. Like there's worse things you could take as far as side effects and all that kind of stuff. But um, from a TRT perspective, from a medical perspective, my take on it was that it doesn't necessarily make sense hmm. to use it for that reason. And it's a lot of it's because of some of the cardiotoxic effects it can have. Um, testosterone is just, for multiple reasons, safer. And then if how much is she going to get? And is the nandrolone then going to cause decadic, so to speak? Are they going to end up with other issues that come along with adding that to the mix? Whereas if he has joint pain, my first thought is from a coach's perspective, a trainer's perspective, practitioner's perspective, why do your joints hurt? Hmm. Like what's what's going on with your joints? Is it the way you're training? Is it is it what you're doing? Is it that you got just too much inflammation in your body? Maybe maybe curcumin would be something that would work for just general joint inflammation. Yeah. So I was in Chinese medicine, you know, and this is sort of my perspective is rooted there. Um, this was someone a question that someone wanted me to dig into. Um, someone posted this on Think Big in the in the in our in the forum there. <clears throat> that look at the the root of the issue. So why is the joint pain there? And like there's number they could just take aspirin, you know, and just continue to take aspirin and do that for you know years. That'd be cheaper. Yeah. Why use Nandrolone? You know necessarily yeah. unless you know that there's a several other reasons to do that and it makes sense given your trt protocol hmm. um uh you know heck i don't know what else he's he maybe has in his in his arsenal there for the trt maybe they've got him on an aromatase inhibitor okay. maybe that's causing the joint pain mm. those can cause joint pain yeah maybe his estrogen levels you know are aren't where they should be maybe a little bit higher in estrogen would help with a little bit more water in his system and that would lubricate the joints in this way um 
people will use growth hormone for that reason. There's even there's I mean growth hormone uh, there's that's a whole different topic too. But but that might be something that would help with his joints too, and that would be more complementary I think than adding nandrolone to the testosterone. If he's thinking about like anti-aging effects generally in general. Um, I mean, so there are actually clinics that are prescribing the research chemicals like BPC-157, TB-500, those sorts of things. Yeah. So this place where he's at, it's kind of cool. It sounds like they're progressive. That might be a better a better option there. You yeah. know, do that. Um, Alflutop is something mm. that um, worked really, really well that you can still buy, I think, on eBay. Um, you can actually, they're selling on Amazon, so I think it's totally legal to get in the yeah. U.S. That works phenomenally for many people. Hmm. Um, is he taking undenatured type two collagen? Yeah. Is he using collagen peptides like you had in your coffee? Yeah. You know, um, that's been a huge game changer I, for me personally. Yeah, and, I, and I feel like right. anybody who's lifting now that I better understand collagen and what it does, anybody who's lifting and you're aging, you know, like anybody over 35, I would say it would be an, it would be a, I wish I had started it sooner. Let's put it that way. I wish I had started it 10 years ago and just been consistent. I feel like it could have been, you know, very helpful to have brought that in. Plus, you know, it is it is a protein source. It might not be the best protein source, but you're getting like 29 grams of protein if you use a serving a day. Yeah. And you're I think you said before you you'd have breakfast before you take it in. So you've got all the amino acids floating around your system. Yeah. So it is an extra protein source. Um but we know with the collagen from the radio-labeled um, amino acid studies that when you take in the collagen-based protein source, that those amino acids do actually sort of preferentially end up in collagen. They end up in the joints and the tendons, the place where you find collagen. Yeah. So I would just like Nandrolone would be the last of um, my, like at the very bottom of your priority list if he's tried everything. But there's got to be, be a reason why the joints hurt. I don't know how old he is, but... Um, you can figure out, you can deal with arthritis in so many different ways other than just adding Nandrolone on there. Yeah. You know, I mean, so here's, here's the thing too. I'll say it this way. Cause I, cause I get it. You know, it's like, so if you're a guy like who's pushing the limits, right? Mm -hmm. Like you're, you're like trying to get your pro card or trying to win your state show or whatever. And you're, you're gearing up. It's like I tend to have joint problems cause I'm pushing everything, mm -hmm. you know, I'm, I'm redlining. It's like, and Nandrolone makes me grow really well, and yeah. I'm already like, I'm already, I'm already in for the win, so to speak. Right. Then, then okay, yeah, I keep Nandrolone in because I grow really well on it, and it helps my joints. That's a different story. Yeah. It's a, like it's a totally different story. So, I the thing is, and maybe like they don't, because they have to be careful. Like this is now I think about this. So imagine you're running a clinic like some clinics are run where they prescribe things that, you know, are on the high end, let's say of what we considered traditional TRT. Right. And they're adding in things like Nandrolone, which isn't traditionally added in by many physicians as TRT. Cause you don't really have Nandrolone is like, it's found as a minor metabolite, but it's not an active hormone in the body. Although people we call those hormones. No, it's a drug. It's a, it's, <laughs> it's a testosterone derived drug. Like most of the steroids are. So, um, they may have guys coming in who are like getting their TRT there um, just so they can, you know, they can have bottles that are labeled as tests that they fill with, you know, the mix of stuff that they're using when they travel or what have you. Mm -hmm. So they want to be legal. That makes sense. And they want to have something they can bridge with in between cycles and all that good stuff. So they come in and those guys, they're not like, 
they're not going to be able to, they can't say to those guys and with clear conscience, because it's a liability say, okay, so, well, yeah, we might as well just, we'll just prescribe you the full cycle. Let's get you on, you know, 600 tests and 400 Nandrolone. Right. Um, but they want to accommodate those guys if they want the Nandrolone. And, you know, there's physicians do use Nandrolone. That's why we wrote this article. Cause it's, it's something that some physicians do, do employ. So he comes in and they don't know because he may look like, wow, this guy's, this guy's, I don't know how, how big he is who asked the question. Who was asked the question? Sorry. Uh, Frank Sullivan. Frank, I don't know how, like, but if someone comes in, they're not going to say, so like, what else, what else are you taking? <laughs> if someone asks for an Andalone, they want to accommodate that person. So if he asks for an Andalone, they want to accommodate him. And they're, they want to make sure if he's that person who's pushing the limits that, okay, they did that. They, they prescribed him the Andalone. And, um, so they can't, they can't necessarily fish those things out. It's like, well, hope, actually for TRT, we can probably do you a better service. Medically speaking, if you really want to stay chess on a TRT level, you're not trying to like go for broke by working on the joint pain in this way, shape or form. Yeah. And that's to some degree, that's an issue with the hormone replacement clinics because they specialize just in that. And they tend to sort of miss a bit of the holistic nature of things. Hmm. I can I, see that. Yeah. Sort of, yeah. Like it's like you're here for the your testosterone, and not necessarily lifestyle management and what have you. Yeah. Um, some of them are. Some are like, okay, let, I tell you what, you got joint pain. Let's like refer. Let's refer you to, to Doctor Stevenson or whatever, and like, and he'll 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 talk to you about that. He'll will give you he'll give you a holistic, um, traditional Chinese medical based approach, and. Um, uh, talk about your exercise selection. Maybe there's a way we can treat your joint pain without having to up your the toxic toxicity load that would come with more androgens yeah. above which you know where you if he adds nandrolone to a, a TRT protocol, especially if it's sort of a, on a high end one, mm-hmm. then he's then he's maybe three or four times above in terms of total androgen input what his body would typically have. Absolutely. So, yeah. And we had a couple so more here. Yeah. We had a couple more yeah. here. Yeah, like. Let's see. These are from the live feed. Um, John had one. John Boxer. He says a question I recently heard on another podcast about. Uh, oh, we're still on, we're still talking about Nandrolone, I guess. About test and NPP cycle. They suggested taking low test, 150 milligrams, uh, and running higher NPP, 300 plus milligrams. They seem to think that NPP uh, is basically test. So no need to run test uh, the same as NPP because you just increase the side effects. Um, this was the first I had heard of this, and I was curious on your thoughts. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure about we can't, of course, comment on the other podcast because I'm you know it's a, still no matter what it's going to be a little out, out of context uh, hearing right. what he's saying about it. But uh, I mean, you've talked before about uh didn't didn't jordan run a really could you explain that again because i couldn't quite grasp it jordan ran a high deca cycle with low only oh deca only i think it was deca only yeah some people a lot a few people have done that more than a few yeah absolutely and 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 he said that like libido everything was fine you had a, a an idea or a thought on that why would that have been first of all my my guess was um, if you look at Nandrolone's binding affinity to the alpha, to the adrenal, or sorry, the 
adrenergic receptor, not the alpha receptor, not the adrenal receptor, the, the uh, androgen receptor. Um, it actually binds more strongly than DHT or testosterone. Um, but normally, so it's at the, at the far end of binding of things. So it's going to activate the energy receptor really, really strongly. Okay. And when it's five alpha reduced to dihydronandolone, that has very poor, um, uh, it doesn't activate the energy receptor very, very strongly at all. Okay. So at a sort of a moderate or low dose, you're going to get a lot of five alpha reduction. Okay. And the nandrolone is never going to end up being um, around for very long. So it's not going to be binding to the energy receptor because it's getting 5-alpha reduced to a, um, a less problematic compound That's as far right. as like hair loss. But if you take in like 2,000 milligrams, <laughs> then, I mean, if you can think of like 100 milligrams, you know, being like a TRT or like a, a, an endogenous androgen level, now you're 20 times that. There's a possibility, this is where I was sort of, you know, wild-ass guessing it. Yeah possibility now you're overloading the five alpha reductase enzyme and it just can't it just doesn't can it just doesn't upregulate maybe in some people hmm. or maybe in jordan's case or in those individuals where to the point where you you're just you have so much nandrolone around hmm. that it just you just have nandrolone which is even more adri- uh, um uh, uh potentially anabolic as well as androgenic than so it drives sex drive um so that's my guess as to why that would be. That's the thing is like, you know, you, <laughs> you combine the two and you have the decadic possibility. Yeah. Um, but if you just use nandrolone only, then maybe there's may have this so much nandrolone at the receptor that wasn't maybe able to break down. So interesting. So you're telling yeah. me that, that during your standard, say 600 test, 400 deca cycle, somebody experiences the quote unquote decadic that that's the dihydronandrolone, which is bind, bound to the receptor, and it's not nearly as effective? Well, typically that would be people are treating that with, um, uh, they're trying to deal with um, prolactin um, or progestogenic effects because the, the nandrolone's progestogenic. So that's probably where the decadic is coming from, but you're still going to get that with the nandrolone. Okay. Um, the progenic effect because nandrolone does that. But if you have so much nandrolone in there, now you got, you've got an overwhelming activation of the antigen receptor. Right. Um, yeah. But right, if you've but got the, the smaller amount of, yeah. Well, what's the dihydronandrolone doing? That's nothing. I okay. had, that's what you want. Like that's good. Yeah. Okay. Um, that's that. That's not going to cause hair loss and that kind of stuff. That's a that's a good one. Um, so Jordan doesn't have any hair issues at all. His hairline is like solid. So he doesn't have the genes for hair loss when from um, androgenic alopecia or you know frontal balding or what have you. Okay. So yeah, if you have someone in that scenario, you've got you've got the progestogenic effects and the potential effects on prolactin that are going to give you the decadic that yeah. you can get from nandrolone. Um, and if you have test and nandrolone in the mix, and let's say your nandrolone's pretty high, depending on the person, some people don't get it. Right. So it's a matter of how much of the enzyme they have and the relative sensitivity, like all the interplay of all these various factors that are there. Then they've got probably a progestogenic effect and, and a, prolact- a prolactin effect. Prolactin can be released when progestogenic um, a progestogenic compound comes in 
that's potentially why the decadic is happening. Okay. But if you take if you take all of the um, and I don't know even how well uh, this again this is all just spitballing, but I don't even know how what how good of a substrate nandrolone is for that five alpha reductase enzyme compared to testosterone. Um, testosterone when it's five alpha reduced to dihydrotestosterone, that's more androgenic. And when it happens in the prostate or the scalp, it's where you get you know inflamed enlarged prostate. That's where you get hair loss and you get the androgenic effects. So that happens like at the, in the level of the tissue. Okay. Um, yeah. But if you, uh, if that happens, um, that's why nandrolone is better for hair for many people. Um, or they like that because if it gets alpha five alpha reduced, then you get dihydronandrolone, which isn't androgenic. It's not an issue. And this is where people can get it. And I've mentioned this before, but it's still kind of confusing. I, I, I get why it is. So we're like, well, I want to take care of my hair, so I'll use nandolone, and then I'll use finasteride or dutasteride because mm-hmm. that's good. Well, that's good for testosterone because that prevents the testosterone to dihydrotestosterone. Dihydrotestosterone is going to hurt your hair. But if you take nandolone and you block the 5-alpha reductase with finasteride or dutasteride, now you've got more nandrolone around, yeah. which is even more androgenic than DHT. Um, DHT is. So for individuals who have that positive effect of just the nandrolone only, they're basically going just, we're going all in on the nandrolone. Yeah. I think probably overwhelming the activity and the ability of the 5-alpha reductase to convert that to dihydronandrolone. So now they've just got lots of nandrolone having these strong anabolic and androgenic effects. So they get good growth and they get good, really good sex drive. Like, some of you are saying their sex drive is just crazy high. It's the opposite of decadic. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that too. Yeah, yeah. So that's sort of the reason why. Um, and you know, that's where if someone if someone is, is is playing that game, then they would figure out what works for them. Yeah. You know what what ratios? How much? How high can they go on the nandrolone and still get a positive anabolic effect? Maybe a joint effect, um, and not get the decadic. And how much testosterone they have to have relative to that? Yeah. So, interesting. Um, yeah, it is. I found a, a table on nandrolone that I put together, um, comparing testosterone and nandrolone. This is for, this is what I submitted for that article, and it looks at um, dyslipidemia, so poor lipids, effects on metabolic syndrome, strength and muscle mass, erectile dysfunction, and joint health. Hmm. So, um, nandrolone. Can be there's some studies showing higher level higher amounts can reduce your HDL. Um, you've got the decadic erectile dysfunction issue. Um, generally, testosterone is going to help there. Both can be anabolic. Both can improve joint health. Hmm. So there's no if you look at, if you kind of compare these major health outcomes of testosterone and nandrolone in terms of lipid profile, um, uh, metabolic syndrome, muscle mass, erectile dysfunction, and joint health. Nandrolone isn't any better in terms of any of those necessarily than um, testosterone, except maybe the joint health for some people. Um, but testosterone, if you go from a hypogonadal position to being eugonadal, it's going to help with joint health too. Hmm. So, yeah, you can people folks can read that. Um, looking at the, there's people have used vitamin E and. Um, a black seed extract to sort of uh, as antioxidants to kind of combat the reactive oxygen 
um, species, the the free radical effects hmm. of nandrolone. Um, that's one of the one of the issues with nandrolone is it seems to have um, seems to have these negative effects on cardi on the heart, the cardiotoxic effect. Yeah. So if it throws off your lipid profile and it has a cardiotoxic effect, it's not necessarily a good thing for the long haul. Hmm. So. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, that article is really cool. It's a really, it's all those tons of great input from all those guys. I see we had a couple of other things. Uh, Liam Uh, Hunter, who, by the way, Liam, uh, I just messaged you back. He just uh, joined Patreon yesterday. So I wanted to say thank you to you. And I I messaged you on Patreon. Feel free to get back to me. One of the questions I had is where he was from. And he did mention that he is from Yorkshire. Yorkshire, as I think it's technically pronounced. He says, afternoon from hot as balls, Yorkshire. I heard that they're having a heat wave wave over there, uh, and I just missed it. Like, it was so beautiful, Scott. It was like... I saw. 65 degrees, rolling clouds, occasional sun. It didn't start raining until the day I left, Um, which Dave told me this was like... Yeah, Dave told me like it was raining and gray, just like this impenetrable gray. He's like, this is how it usually is. Uh, mm-hmm. But he had asked about chromium. He said, what would the effect of chromium uh, during an off-cycle bulk? And he's using 600 test, 400 deca, 400 mast. He said, I found a lot of anecdotal stuff about chromium, but not whilst on cycle. <laughs> whilst on cycle. Um, it's a, probably a drop in the bucket. Some people, you know, chromium's an interesting one because... I'd always tell the story about the uh, the study that never got published that a master's degree student did. It was at the University of Texas while I was there, and they gave chromium to obese women. Okay. And the chromium group, she once they finally broke the the double blind placebo code, and the chromium group cut they gained body fat. Holy shit! Really? <laughs> got well, yeah, it probably helped with the insulin sense. They went on a diet. They just oh. gave them chromium. Okay. Yeah, so it may help with insulin sensitivity, but it helped with the fat cells. Wow. Right. It wasn't good. So that didn't get published. Um, uh, yeah, because I mean, they, it was, they, they, I think it was just sort of the pilot work to see, you know, like, hey, do we have some promise here? I'm not sure where they went with the study after that. But yeah, um, some people, like, if you happen to be deficient in chromium, then, you know, it, it may work. But I, chromium is um, sort of one that hasn't really stood the test of time. People throw it in there. It's like, hey, why not? Make sure you have it. Um, but I wouldn't expect anything crazy with chromium. But I haven't looked into chromium for a long. I remember chromium was like I remember that was a big deal like 25 years ago. Yeah, I do too, chromium. man. That and in yeah. vanadyl sulfate. Yes, yes. Everyone was using those like on the ketogenic diet boards, um, or people who are doing CKDs. You know, like chromium and alpha lipoic acid is actually something that I think still works pretty well. I'm still a fan of using that for okay. carb ups and that sort of. For most yeah, people, yeah, we had talked about that, but it's been a long time. And you explained the difference mm-hmm. between ALA and RALA. Yeah, yeah. So, um, but chromium is like, you know, some people, are, I've heard some people say it's the greatest thing ever. Yeah. I've heard people say you need to take massive amounts of doses, but I've never, I don't, no, no one I can remember. I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I clearly saw on this client that chromium like was a, was a game changer. And yeah, yeah so I would, um, but, you know, as long as you're not paying out an arm and a leg for it. The, the supplement engineer podcast that we did, interesting, this related to this, we were looking at comparing a, a multi-ingredient pre-workout supplement, with um, which is probably C4, as best we could tell. Okay. Pre-workout. Yeah, they had all the ingredients. It just wasn't didn't say that explicitly in the study. Yeah. And 
and then the equivalent amount of caffeine. And they actually, compared to the caffeine, the C4 had a little bit of an ergolytic effect, so performance wasn't as good. Really? Um, yeah, like just, they lost a rep. They did five sets with like 75% of a one rep max, and there was one, the third set was significantly less, and there was a little bit less on each of the sets, so they were ended up getting like, it was like 36 versus 35 reps over the course of a five-set test protocol. Huh, no kidding. Um, it's, it's kind of a cool podcast because I like went in and like, looked at the fine details of the study in a way that um like that i do when i look at, at studies and it's yeah. that people may not know and it's like i thought like, i thought like i was just ripping apart the authors but there are lots of issues with the study but they did do something cool like a second part of their sort of analysis they added in was okay taking their taking their results caffeine seems to be if you take if you if you assume that caffeine is the active ingredient given that the multi-ingredient with beta-alanine, um, what else do they have in there? Citrulline, right. a couple other things, taurine, um, they didn't, it wasn't any more effective. So it seems like caffeine was just, they didn't have a placebo control, so they don't even know if they got an ergogenic effect from either oh, of those. Okay. But assuming caffeine was what was doing the good stuff, in the, <laughs> then they compared the price of caffeine versus what you pay for those. Oh, it's incredible. Um, yeah, it was like just you're just paying like if you're just if you're actually just getting caffeine as an effective ingredient, which is what the perspective they took, then you're paying like twenty five times what you need to for your caffeine. Yeah, something like that. We it went to outrageous. a vitamin so, shop and but, it was crazy to see that some of the pre workouts are like fifty dollars now for like just the little one single you know the small scoop uh, mm-hmm. stim based pre workouts that don't have really much going on in them. I was shocked. Yeah, I think. I think some of that too is you look at something, it's like, well, what's the most expensive car? Like that one, it must be the best. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, and what has the most, the kitchen sink list of ingredients? Like that's, that kind of attracts you. Like, so that's the thing. That's why I brought this up. Exactly. That reason is like, so I look at all this stuff and if you go, so do you have subclinical doses? Like how much is in there? Right. So would you be better off? This is my old, I'm back in my soapbox here, but if you're going to take beta alanine, it's so better to buy beta. If beta alanine seems to work for you, and you need you know X number of grams in order to load up, six to eight grams or what have you, um, buy not buy beta alanine from True Nutrition, mm-hmm. for instance, and caffeine from True Nutrition, and save yourself eighty percent, right? As opposed to going to GNC and buying something with other ingredients that really don't help um, necessarily, or that you could just buy for cheaper, and then. Then you've got the kitchen full of you know bags and powders and stuff, and it looks like you're like you're a drug dealer, you know, brewing meth at home. But you save yourself a lot of money, and then you know what works, right? Um, so if it comes to like chromium, and it's like you know I I got something on it was on on, on sale, like they marked it down eighty percent off. I just bought it. It's like I bought this because it was a good tasting caffeine source, and it has some chromium in it. Right. Great. You know, take it. But it wouldn't be like you know what. This one's got chromium and this one doesn't. This one's eighty bucks and this one's forty bucks. I definitely want the chromium. Right. Like, nah, I wouldn't go that way. So, yeah, you're, you think of how much bang you're getting for your buck with with those those ingredients. I'll have to grab that yeah. link then from the Supplement Engineer podcast with Lucas and Robert. They're smart guys and they they definitely oh, know yeah. what they're talking about. I, I want to check that out myself and I, I will post it in the description uh, for this podcast. Uh, you know, a little late in the show to be telling you guys that, but it's there. Anybody who's still hanging with us at the end, uh, you're welcome to go check that out. See what you think. 
Yeah, they'll they'll see it. Probably they'll look at the read through that when they look at the timestamps. Yes, that's true. That is true. So, all right. Yeah, what else we got? Anything good? That was it. That Casey was like Reed popped in. Okay, oh, something Reed is here. there. Casey yeah. Reed is here. Uh, I didn't see Casey comment. No, I don't see Casey's comment. GH. Oh, Maybe you're looking, looking at the oh. post from the previous show. Oh, I see. Okay. I'm looking at the live feed here. Oh, yeah. My bad. Yeah. I had responded my live feed to cut him. out. Okay. I had responded to him on that. He had asked about uh how beneficial is it is GH for muscle growth. Uh you could probably see my response there. I said I, I was speaking on your behalf, but we had talked about that a bunch of times oh, that you know, for some people you had said that they're going to have you know, some people, they may have a game-changing effect. But if you've taken mm-hmm. growth hormone and you haven't seen a game-changing effect from it, there's a good chance that you're not going to be that guy. Like Andrew, you know, Andrew Berry says that he loves growth. Like that to him, it has uh-huh. been a game-changer. And that when he runs it up higher, he gets better effect. I've heard other people, I don't know if it's been said publicly, so I don't want to say names, but I, I know other like really good, high, high-level, Olympian-level pros who have said at least off the air that like yeah they'd rather take 10 units and then keep the the anabolics like under a gram and they do great with it we're talking like best in the world guys oh yeah yeah there's some people who just just it's a it is a game changer just ridiculous how well it works the interesting things no problem lucas um the interesting things oh by the way i posted it on instagram i think you probably heard that i i couldn't tag those guys i didn't i couldn't find their instagram handles but i don't think that robert um, uh, does social media at all okay and maybe why that would make sense <laughs> but but the thing that, that that seems to happen is if you're a growth hormone responder let's just kind of use that term yeah growth hormone strongly we talked about last time strongly turns on connective tissue um, protein synthesis, collagen protein synthesis. So people use it for joints too. Yeah. So it's to help repair the joints. It helps for some people, but that's the thing. I've noticed in people who have said that, like this is over like 20 years of kind of paying attention, looking at patterns. You're also going to get those, like when the connective tissue grows and you get a, a nose growth, for instance, people's hands will grow. Feet will grow. They have to get wear bigger shoes. Like people going from a size ten to a size twelve or size thirteen ears. in a matter of like four or five years. Ears, yes. I've told, some people I've noticed a couple guys even get pointed ears. Yes. They, they get like Vulcan elf style ears. It's really kind of interesting. Which, and I've gone back. I'm like they didn't have those ears ten years ago. They have those ears now. Yeah. This isn't like it's just really it's just really fascinating. So it's almost like. You do have that, like as a you know, change in your in your facial features, your bone and your cartilage structure is going to come along with with that. Also, you get that tremendous fat loss effect, and probably a a protein synthetic. Some guys feel like they grow on growth hormone; they get they get more muscle mass on it. Yeah, um, and then you have guys just, that have that opposite. You know, Dave Crossland invested a huge ton of money into farm grade growth, uh, twenty seven mm-hmm. units a day, and he said that. When he was done with that, he was like, I don't feel like it really made any difference. He feels that way about growth in insulin. He's one of the first people that I know who has said he feels like insulin doesn't pan out, you know, that you, you get a lot of, a lot of, you know, a lot of bulk from it. But then when you come off of it, 
it's not necessarily worth what you don't end up with what you think you're getting, I guess, is what his his take was, at least from personal experience. Yeah. And I could see that. I, I don't know. Somebody was recently yeah. telling me about a coach with a super high insulin protocol in that guys mm -hmm. look like they're getting 50 pounds of muscle in the off season, And then when they actually hit the stage, they're like one pound heavier. Interesting. Yeah. yeah with dave like he was how many calories was he putting down when he was you know the 400 pound mark dude it was like 10 ounces of meat with two cups of rice every hour he was awake <laughs> that's, that's just crazy so like that, you've got so much insulin you know already yeah, yeah. Um, and potentially he's pushed himself this is, you know, this is just sort of this, like this sort of no man's land. Like, how, 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 how good was his insulin sensitivity at that point when he's that high? Yeah, I you can know, imagine. He was awesome, all out size, right? So yeah. he had lots of body fat. So it might make sense. You know, you take someone who who does an insulin protocol, for instance, where they only use small amounts. They're using it intermittently. Yeah. They're increasing their protein, like carbs, enough to cover the glucose issues with insulin. Um, and you know, you apply it and they do it only around workouts, various, various things. And not that I'm saying people should use insulin, but there's, there's like a totally different situation, for instance, and this isn't criticizing Dave either, right? where you've got someone who's like 8% and they're using insulin, you know, at like 10, 15 IUs three times a week in association with a big peri workout meal. So they're taking advantage of the a nutrient timing and insulin timing issue potentially versus someone who's at Dave's level of size who has a continuous constant influx of calories all the time. Mm -hmm. There's no timing. There's no nothing. Um, and he's already lost insulin sensitivity because he's pushed so far up with his body weight and everything. That's totally different. So you can, you could maybe grow and see an impact when you're that former person mm -hmm. and say, Oh, this is making a difference compared to not doing it. Um, and then there's of course the in between is like when you use it, it's, it's it, the way that we've talked about this before on the show is you add insulin to sort of support what you're already doing. But I think some people, if they do add insulin, this would make sense as to why it might work better for them is that they recognize, okay, I'm, I'm going to use insulin. I'm only going to use it intermittently. I'm going to use it with a nutrient timing approach. And then they take on a nutrient timing approach and they take in more food. They actually are adjusting their, their eating schedule and the way that they're manipulating their carbohydrates in a way that would help them anyway and then they got insulin sensitive, um, sort of synergizing with that new approach. Yeah. So now, now they're now they've changed. It's not just the insulin that's changed; it's the way they're eating and the way they're they're matching their their caloric turnover and their needs with their training stimulus. Hmm. So that 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 uh, nutrient timing issue, you know, which is a whole other ball of wax, but that could be the they could be they could be getting a nutrient timing effect on top of the insulin effect. Yeah. And then the two synergizing for even a better effect. So, yeah, you I will, last thing you would never like say, okay, we pushed you up to eight thousand calories a day. You're at full max GI, like you, and you're as fat as you've ever been. Now let's use insulin. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> no. point. Yeah, you would never do that. And Dave might have been like a kind of you know approaching that sort of place. Like it's no wonder it wouldn't work. That's a good point. So, Listen, let's wrap yeah. this thing up, man. It's great to catch back oh. up. Uh, the last episode just came out, but we actually recorded it like before I even had left for England. So it's it's been yeah. a couple of weeks, few weeks now. Uh, guys, if you want to take part in the next show, 
comment with questions. Uh, you know, we might be able to get to them. Well, if you have a good topic, uh, you know, something that would be worth digging into, I, I you know, I, I would, uh, I would ask you to to post it. And uh, you know, Scott and I will get back together here, and we'll uh, knock out another one. How's oh, everything going for you, yes, man? How's training and all that? Good, good. I've um, been training in the barn. I'm just, I, we talked about, you know, got some dog. Talk about this on the supplement engineer podcast. I got some dog issues, kind of keep me close to home. Me- medication schedules that I have to stick on. So I've been training in the um, in the barn. Actually, this is, we talked about this on the supplement engineer podcast, but. It's so fucking hot in there. It's just fucking awesome. Oh, you love <laughs> it's it. It's like huh? crazy. Oh, I mean, it's just like, it, I have to be careful because it just wipes me out so bad. Like I've been just, it's like, and I don't need to take a nap. And it's like, I could, oh, I know yeah. I can't nap. It's like, I'm going to nap. I actually fall asleep, but it's just brutal because right. I don't, there's no airflow in there. I don't have any fans. I had two fans I brought from a previous place and they're both were broken. Note to self, when I come to visit Scott, I will bring the guns, number one, because you have plenty of yard yeah. to shoot in. Yeah. Number two, I'm going to bring my own air conditioning unit for your gym. We'll get it all sealed up, get your <laughs> HVAC going before I get my first workout in with you. <laughs> I have one out there. Gym's too big, though, man. You oh. need like a whole bunch of them. Yeah, and it's kind of, it's, 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 it was a, it was actually, it was a barn, you know, so it's, they had horses in there oh, years shit. ago. Yeah. But there's just no, like, I guess I could open, there's another door I could open, but where I've got everything set up, there's just not going to be great airflow. And it, uh. it just like, literally, like yesterday, there was not a, not a dry spot on any of my clothes. I bet. Just, I know that feeling, man. In your, out on my like porch. South Florida, in the Everglades, basically now. Yeah. <laughs> this is country living. Here's what I do. I train when I get done. And I don't even let the dogs out because Blitzy will come out and she'll come and sit in the gym and she'll be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, just painting like she's about to die. So I literally came out. I'm like, okay, I'm done training. I just take all my clothes off on my porch <laughs> and, and, and because there's no one can see me. Like I'm, I'm in the like there's this totally no one can no one around. And I just hang them on something. Yeah. I got hanging on my barbecue grill. Yeah, and uh, like on the side of a trash can because I don't. If I walk inside, I'm just gonna sweat all over the floor. Oh my god! I ring them out first. So that's like my dream home, then almost minus the humidity, because I had always said, like for my whole life, I was like, I want the kind of house where you could step out your back porch and shoot your guns naked, and nobody would have anything to say. I feel like you've got my dream home minus the humidity now. Not that I would really want to do that, just to know I could tells me like, yeah, that's that's the privacy I'm looking for. That level. It's, it's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if I, if I were a hunter, like I could probably get like a, maybe a BB gun with a, with a nice um, scope on it and I could just shoot rabbits from my porch and just have rabbit, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You're the next, tons of rabbits. be like the next like gator hunter. That'd be, you could do that too. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll I appreciate you taking other. the time, Scott, for coming to, on to hang out with us with Muscle Minds. Uh, guys, once again, as I mentioned at the beginning of the show, check out Scott's book, uh, this is the hardcover edition of Be Your Own Bodybuilding Coach, and you can get this if you go to Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, I'll have a link for that. And go to byobbcoach.com. You can get the ebook there. Uh, you know, it's not a cheap book, but here's the reality. You can literally be your own bodybuilding coach and take yourself through your whole off-season, plan your season, go through your prep, go through your peak week, all for the the, the cost of this one purchase he's got it all in there uh and uh you know a lot cheaper too if you get the ebook but i like having something tactile that you can hold 
when I'm reading it. Go to our sponsors, True Nutrition, as we mentioned earlier, truenutrition.com. Use our code THINK for some additional savings. Plus, that definitely helps to support our programming and you're supporting good, high-quality supplement company that you can believe in. Uh, supplementsource.ca for you guys in Canada. You can get your ephedrine there. Plus, you can get a lot of other stuff, blowout deals. And uh, thank you again to Liam and everybody else, uh, Frank and everybody else from Patreon. I appreciate you guys helping to support the show. Scott, as a pleasure, as always, sure. man, it's been a pleasure, my friend. Definitely. Likewise. See you guys.